up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rob Prospect Podcast. My name is Amy Nixon. Today is May 31st, and today is episode 106. And joining me from Austin, Texas, the stat king himself, Mr. Michael Wing. What's up, bro? What is going on? I hope everybody had a fantastic Memorial Day. Day off work, day off, uh, just a relaxing overall long weekend. We are back for another episode. Today, I think we're going to do Prospect of the Week, but if we don't do that, then we can do it the next episode. Um, And then we will be talking about the NBA Finals. We have finally made it all the way through the playoffs, and we have a great, great NBA Finals series to preview. And then we're going to make our picks for this week's Memorial Tournament. It's been a while since we've talked golf. Uh, we had schedule conflicts that prevented us from talking about the PGA Championship, so we're going to talk about the Memorial, uh, which is one of the stronger fields, uh, non-major, uh, that is, of the year. And then we'll wrap it up, and we will be back later this week to talk some college baseball as we are coming into June, and that means we get the NBA Finals and the NCAA Baseball Tournament will carry on for the next three or so weeks, all the way up until the College World Series. Um, So we will be talking about that in our next episode. But with that being said, be sure to like and subscribe, and let's get started. Right, and make sure to leave a comment down below as well. That really helps with the algorithm also. Uh, Okay, so let's get right into this. So uh, we starting with NBA final stuff? You cool with that? Yeah, let's go ahead. All right. So, on Sunday, the Celtics closed it out against the Heat. Um, 100-96, to they ended up winning the game. They were up 13 with about three minutes left, and the Heat went on a huge run to close the game. Um, And it was looking like, for a second there, that it would be a major collapse for the Celtics. So they, they kind of got out of there with the skin of the teeth. Um, but nonetheless, they're here now. They're in the finals. They're going to play the Golden State Warriors. Uh, game one is in Golden State on Thursday, two days from now on the day we're recording this. Um, so, Michael, just what are you looking for to start this series? Like, um, what's your overall outlook on both of these teams right now? Um, what are the what what key players do you have in mind in terms of matchups? Uh, do you see in this series and just your overall, uh, just your overall thoughts here? Absolutely. Um, this will be a preview, uh, like we did other series previews, but it'll be probably a little bit more in depth since it is the NBA finals. Now in the NBA finals, um, you do have a couple more days of rest in between games which I think will be extremely beneficial for the Boston Celtics, considering that they are coming off playing 12 games in 23 days. They really got screwed over uh, with the scheduling in that uh, second round, coming off that long Buck series, going into another long Miami series. Um, And you can see basically every game, They had a couple guys, same thing with Miami, but Boston had a couple guys, Robert Williams in particular, um, and Marcus Smart as well, 
uh, that were hobbled and weren't themselves for those couple of games. So I do think the rest in between games and the rest in between uh, what was Sunday's Game 7 and Thursday's Game 1 will help this team a little bit. At least give those guys some time to get rested up a little bit. Um, now, now that we have that out of the way, uh, for me, the Celtics, the big question here, because we know and it's been reported that Gary Payton Jr. is likely to return in game one, and if not game one, definitely game two. Um, and if anything that he's going to provide uh, when he comes back, it's that perimeter defense. We all know that. He's a fantastic defender, uh, was averaging, I believe, over two steals per game before he got hurt, uh, was one of the top perimeter defenders in the playoffs based off all the metrics. Uh, he will be coming back, and he will likely get to spell Andrew Wiggins as he probably will be one of the primary defenders on um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, so the Warriors are getting back to full strength. Also, Andre Iguodala and Otto Porter are soon, uh, I think, getting healthy. They'll be back. Uh, Porter injured his foot in that uh, Maverick series, um, and uh, we haven't seen Iguodala in a while. I'm not too sure what was wrong with him. But anyways, the Warriors are getting healthy. They're deep, and we all know that they were tied, I believe, with the Celtics first in defensive rating during the regular season. Um, and, you know, when Draymond missed some time, they sort of struggled defensively. But ever since Draymond has come back, they've been back to who they are. But we all know the Celtics are very good defensively. But from a Celtics perspective, they got to limit the turnovers in the half court. We see that at points in times, um, they can settle in the half court some. And they struggle with turnovers. Tatum, even though he's been absolutely fantastic, he deserves his first team All-NBA selection. He solidified his place, in my opinion, on the top eight players in the NBA. Uh, he has committed 77 turnovers in 18 playoff games. That's not good. That's 18 more than the next closest player on a per-game basis. Um, it's 4.3 turnovers per game. Uh, and Jalen Brown isn't much better. He's actually turning it over three turnovers per game during these playoffs. They're very talented wings. They can score. They can do a lot of everything. Play good defense, a lot of everything. But they got to limit the mistakes. Because if you give the Warriors a chance where they don't have to face that, you know, set Boston uh, vaunted half-court defense and they're getting out in the fast break and getting open shots and making open layups, we all know Andrew Wiggins is a threat in the fast break. They have a bunch of guys who can do that, especially on the road when when Golden State has home court advantage in this series. Um, that's a vaunted uh, proposition for Boston if they're turning the ball over a lot. So you got to be smart, play smart basketball, and limit those turnovers. Uh, that way, most of the time, you'll be able to set your defense. And when your defense is set, it's been – elite um, to say the least in the if you look at the playoff splits in their 12 playoff wins to this point um, the Celtics have turned the ball over 12 uh, times per game but in their six losses it jumps all the way up to 17 uh, 
turnovers per game. So they're much more beatable when, you know, you don't have to constantly work against their half-court defense um, in the half-court offense. And I do think with guys like Gary Payton, uh, the second likely to return, Otto Porter Jr., and some of those perimeter defenders that the Warriors have, I think Clay's looked a lot better defensively here as of late, especially on ball um, and some of the things he's been able to do. Then it's going to uh, pose big trouble. So that's my biggest key for the Celtics. And something else I'm looking for is Derek White. He had a fantastic game six. Uh, the Celtics ended up losing that game that they should have won, but he was fantastic in game six. Looks like playoff Derek White that we saw in San Antonio. Uh, that one series against the Nuggets. Uh, I think he and a lot of these other supporting rule guys are going to need to knock down some shots, uh, especially from beyond the arc. Tatum's been great. Brown's been great. But I'm looking at Smart to be more consistent on the offensive end. Um, and then Derek White to be more consistent on the offensive end of the floor and knocking down those perimeter shots. Pritchard has had a couple uh, good moments here and there but they're going to have to be more consistent. Um, So if you look at it from a Celtics perspective, to me, it's just playing smart basketball. Golden State, even though Boston has a lot of playoff experience and they've endured a lot of, um, you know, uh, adversity over the past couple of years to get to this point and they're battle tested going through all these long series, Golden State um, has a lot of finals experience on this roster. And if you look at this Celtics roster, I don't think one player on this roster has played in an NBA finals game. So that of course is on the Warriors side. They're battle tested as well. So you just gotta play smart. Uh, Don't turn the ball over, make them play against your half court defense and have these supporting cast players knock down shots consistently. Um, We know the defense for Boston is gonna be really good. Um, I'm talking a lot, so maybe I'll just address the Boston side. I'll get your perspective now, and then we can address the Warriors side. But one more thing, uh, Robert Williams. What does he look like? What is his health? Um, we saw the Warriors struggle a little bit, getting into the paint, especially when in that uh, Grizzly series when they had Jaron Jackson Jr., they had Steven Adams. Uh, that was the stiffest challenge defensively that the Warriors have faced to this point, especially in terms of rim protection. And you look at what Al Horford's been able to do and what Robert Williams is able to do when he's healthy in terms of blocking shots, protecting the rim, um, and getting on the defensive glass. Uh, How do the Warriors attack that? Because if they can attack that, break down the Celtics defense, we all know it's going to be really hard for the Celtics. It's going to be harder for the Celtics to defend this Warriors motion-like offense, something they really haven't seen as much up into this point in the playoffs. And then one more thing, Marcus Smart, what is his health? What is that foot, leg injury that he has? Um, He's great defender. He deserved his Defensive Player of the Year award. But if he's hobbled, going up against Steph Curry is a different animal. He moves a lot off the ball, and I just don't think you want Marcus Smart if he's hobbled, chasing 
Steph Curry all over the floor because that's something the Warriors do better than anyone. They move without the ball on the offensive end of the floor. So I'm looking at Rob, Robert Williams' health, um, Marcus Smart's health. Those have been the two big health question marks for the Celtics. On the offensive end of the floor for the Boston, uh, I'm looking at the role players to make shots on a more consistent basis. Don't turn the ball over, especially at the clip that you have been. And just play your game. Play smart. Uh, I'll turn the floor over to you now. Yeah, I mean, you made a lot of good points. But the one main thing that I have for Boston is just they're in order to protect their defense, they have to put the ball in the basket consistently. They've got to be on it for 48 minutes. And that's my biggest concern with this Boston team. As you mentioned, they've had a problem with turnovers. They've had a problem with, you know, these like really untimely offensive fouls and uh, just little things here and there where it's just like, wow, they're just having a really tough time executing for the entire five-minute stretches of the game. And we know with Golden State, with how explosive they are, if they do that, it's going to end up being these huge runs for Golden State. Uh, we saw that in the Dallas series. They went on scoring droughts um, consistently in that series. And once you once that happens, it's just really, really hard to recover from. Um, and uh, that's going to be a big key for me for Boston. And another thing is, obviously, I don't want to be the guy that's going to want to talk about the refs all the time. I don't really – I'm not normally a guy that does that. But – it's going to be a big deal in this series how the refs call this series. Um, are they going to let the Celtics be physical with, you know, Curry and Clay and Poole running around these screens off ball? Um, because if they are able to dictate their motion and dictate where they want to be on the floor, it's going to make things so much more difficult for Boston. Um, you know, a switching scheme, it's it's really good against this Warriors team, but it's only as good as um, the communication is and just um, the ability to not get lost in these screens and these, all these actions. Uh, it's so easy to just lose your man for just a second here and there and then not talk to your teammate to go switch. And then, and then it's just a complete jumbled mess. Um, and as a Mavericks fan, I know that all too well. I saw it over and over again in the last series. Um, so, number one, protecting your defense with your offense. And then number two, um, be as physical as the refs allow you to be. Uh, because that will play a very important role. Um, and then third, um, for Boston, I just want to see – it kind of connects with my first point. Just I would just want to see them execute for 48 minutes offensively and defensively. But for this point specifically, just taking away Golden State's implied offense. I've talked about that term a little bit on this podcast before. Um, and what I mean by that in, term, in the Golden State's case is um, they their main guys get, you know, 15 to 20 points off of – cuts and getting layups off of cuts. You know, if you're able to take that away, take away that implied offense, um, that's how you're able to 
make things a lot harder on this Golden State team. If you make them a jump shooting team, uh, which is much easier said than done, uh, then that's when you can really get under Golden State's skin. Um, one advantage I do see for Boston, though, um, on the defensive end is just their length. I think that's not something that's been talked about enough. It's just how big and long this Boston Celtics team is. I mean, their seven-man rotation is filled with just uh, just tall, switchable defenders. You know, outside of Marcus Smart, there's not a guy in that lineup that's under 6'5". I mean, Derek White, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, I mean, up and down the list, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, Al Horford, all of them can switch, and they're they're all positive defenders. There's not a guy on the floor, really, that Golden State can just attack. Um, and that wasn't the case in the last series, obviously, with the Mavericks having Luka or Davis Bertans or whatever the case may be on the floor. Um, I just think Boston's defensive personnel is good enough to give this Golden State team problems. Um, my concern is just obviously what I've just what I've been reiterating over and over. It's just can they stay focused for forty eight minutes? Um, that's that's the biggest part of the entire series, in my opinion. Um, I actually do believe that Boston matches up really well with Golden State. Um, I just worry about their execution and um, just their ability to close out four games against Golden State. We've seen back-to-back games where late in the fourth quarter, Boston hasn't been able to create offense in the final three minutes of the game. Game six, we saw the game was tied at 99. Then what happened? Over and over again, they just weren't able to create offense. Um, And then last game, um, game seven, it was... You know, they had a 13-point lead or 12-point lead or something of that nature. Something something around there. And then they go, you go down the court and Marcus Smart misses, I think, five straight shots. Um, so that cannot happen. You have to close quarter strong and you got to close the game strong in order to put this Golden State Warriors team away. Um, and, and just, not even just in a, closing out the series sense, just in the game-to-game sense. And um, I think based on that analysis, you can probably see where I'm going to go with my prediction, but I'll save that for later. Um, let's uh, let's move on to the Golden State side of things. Um, same thing as earlier. What What's your overall thoughts for Golden State in terms of their keys to win this series? Well, I have a couple things to say before that. I okay, do yeah. agree with you overall on the points that you made. Um, and I kind of was trying to echo the same sentiment. Um, but, yes, that's really the bigger picture worry for the Celtics. It's 48 minutes of execution on the offensive floor, just being smart, uh, taking smart shots. Is something that I think has plagued them at points in times in these playoffs. And then also not turning the ball over, as I mentioned, because that could spell disaster. Um, So, yes, I do agree with you. Executing for 48 minutes and, you know, pulling out four victories against this Golden State team is just what makes it so tough. 
you know, beating them once might not be hard. Beating them twice might not be hard. But beating them four times is a whole different animal. Especially when you have a new coach. They've been here, done that. They're a little bit more healthy and rested than you are. You're coming off playing 12, an insane 12 games in 23 days. That's basically a game every other day for the past two weeks, three weeks or so. I mean, it's, it's just... It's insane what Boston has had to endure and how they've gotten to this point. Um, they do have the length defensively, absolutely. Even if Marcus Smart is not 100%, even if Robert Williams is not 100%, they still have the length and the scheme to make it really difficult for Golden State to score in the half court. So I did want to clarify that point. Now, one thing I want to point out for Boston is I do think they have a good alternative. If Al Horford is struggling in open space, guarding in the pick and roll, if if Robert Williams isn't himself um, and he's hobbled for the first couple games of this series, I do think he'll have an opportunity to get healthy um, here, you know, with the days off in between games. I think there's like two or three days off in between each game here now. Uh, but I do think they have a good alternative in that they can go a little smaller and they still have a great defensive lineup with Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Derek White, and Grant Williams. Um, if they can use that lineup when the other big guys are struggling, then I do think they can still be very solid defensively and make it difficult for Golden State in the half court. Um, so, yeah, that's just something I wanted to point out. I think you could see that lineup get some run here early on, especially if Robert Williams isn't himself. And Al Horford is struggling, uh, but he's been real solid, and I'm super happy for him to finally get to this point. He's had a great career, uh, played the most playoff games without a finals appearance in NBA history. Um, and he's finally here, and congratulations, of course, to Ime Adoka on bringing this team to the NBA Finals in his first season as head coach. With all that being said, Golden State, for me, it's just, what does this half-court offense look like against this Boston half-court defense? That's really the matchup that I'm watching. Um, we all know that um, uh, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are going to do what they do. Um, Jordan Poole, of course, has been fantastic. Uh, their movement off the ball in particular is fantastic. They know how to create open shots. They move the ball. They're in constant motion. Um, from a Golden State side, I guess the two players I'm watching, of course, um, there's, there is some uncertainty around Jordan Poole, um, or sorry, Gary Payton. So I'm not really going to talk much about him as I already have. But I guess I would say Andrew Wiggins, can he, conti can he continue his stellar play? Um, he was absolutely fantastic in that. Um, in that Maverick series and beyond that. Um, and is will he be, I guess, consistent in his knocking down his shots, his open shots, which he has been for the most part, but he has struggled some. And then Kevon Looney, who has just really, really impressed me. I believe he's a free agent. Golden State, I think, has most of their guys locked up. They're going to have to pay Jordan Poole here probably in a couple of years. They're spending a lot of money on, you know, Curry and Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, all those guys. 
Uh, Kevin Looney is a free agent. I think he's earned himself some money here in these playoffs, especially what he's able to do, not only defensively, uh, but also on that offensive glass. And that's where I think it could be an advantage, actually, for Golden State. You saw a lot of times in that Maverick series and in series before that where Dallas would have a really, really good defensive possession. And then for whatever reason, I don't know the reason, uh, just could not secure a defensive rebound. And if you look at the regular season and into these playoffs, even though we know the length that Boston has, especially on the interior, they haven't been a great defensive rebounding team. They're about league average in terms of defensive rebounding percentage. Um, so, And we all know that Golden State, they hustle, they're well coached, and Kevin Looney is a beast on that glass. Uh, so that's something that I'm really watching. You have to secure – I know I keep going back to Boston, but I think, you know, just for Golden State, it's simple. Just be the Golden State Warriors. You've been here. You've done that. As long as, you know, Curry and Thompson and Poole don't – I don't know. Just are smart. As long as they do what they do, basically, is – I don't know how else to say this. I think – They'll be fine. Um, for me, I'm just watching Andrew Wiggins, his defense on whoever he guards, uh, whether that be Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown at times, uh, and whether you know he'll knock down his open shots in these pressure situations, which he's been pretty good so far. Um, will he continue his aggression at you know cutting off ball and getting into the paint, that sort of thing? And then Kevon Looney against this Boston team that's somewhat – they haven't been terrible. I'm not trying to say they've been bad uh, defensive rebounding-wise, but they haven't been, like, fantastic. Um, so you have – that's something I'm also watching. And then, of course, the return of Gary Payton will be big. The return of Otto Porter Jr. will also be big, especially on the defensive side of things. But really, I, I just want to see how this Warriors offense matches up with this Boston half-court defense which has been really, really good so far. Right, right. But I'll hand it over to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm really interested to see um, some of the schemes that Steve Kerr pulls out defensively. Um, we, we know what they are offensively. As you already said, they've, their offense is established. They know what they're doing. I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. Um, defensively, though, I think they're – is the possibility of them, you know, going to triangle and two at certain points or boxing one at certain points when, you know, they have one of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum out there. Uh, they, they have the capability of throwing a lot of different defensive schemes at Boston. And I think at times, I think, especially maybe early in the series, it could, you know, confuse Boston a little bit, um, and give them a little bit of, and take them a little bit of time to adjust to those schemes. Um, so I think with, you know, Draymond Green being the all-time level defender that he is, um, just just his presence on the floor just puts Golden State in a situation where they can avoid um, having their defense going into rotation. Um, and that's how you really break down a defense. If you can't get a defense in rotation, 
then there's no way to really penetrate anywhere. Um, and we saw it over and over uh, in that Dallas series. Um, someone would get in the paint, yet everybody like Golden State never overhelps. They always stick with their assignments, and they only help when they need to. And they're so disciplined. Um, it's amazing to watch, honestly. And uh, I just think Golden State's defense might just be a little bit underrated going into this series. If that, I mean, that sounds a little weird, but I, I really do believe that. Um, I think Steve Kerr is going to have something up up their up his sleeve for this series. Um, but back to what the point I was going to get to. I think if if Andre Iguodala um, actually is healthy, I think he could play a role in this series as well. Obviously, Gary Payton the second uh, could play that role also. But I actually do think Andre Iguodala, if you throw him on Jalen Brown and he gives you 15 good defensive minutes a night, that could be really huge in this series. And um, what have we seen Jalen Brown struggle with? Um, when he has to dribble the ball into traffic, his handle has shown to be a little bit flimsy at times. And Andre Iguodala, as we know, is has some of the best hands defensively that this league has ever seen. So I just think that could be a good matchup defensively, and it could be an option that Steve Kerr could go to later in this series. I, don't, I wouldn't expect him to play in like a game one or game two, but later on in the series, if they need some great defensive minutes and Jalen Brown is hot, I think that could be, you know, your you know, closer in the bullpen that you could go to and really have a change of pace and veteran presence on the floor. Right. I I agree with you. I don't worry about Golden State offensively. I just want to see it against this Boston defense, which is probably the best that they've faced so far in these playoffs. Right. Memphis was fantastic, and I just wonder only because they struggled at times attacking the paint against that Memphis size on the interior with Jaron Jackson Jr., and Steven Adams and all all this all the uh, size that Memphis presents defensively. I just want to see that, and I do think with all the off-ball motion and everything else, um, you know, we saw. I'm not taking any way anything away from Boston defensively, but in that Miami series, a lot of those possessions came down to what Jimmy Butler just trying to play hero ball, and a lot of times you know, being successful, uh, but Jimmy Butler just trying to create an open shot because Lowry was a lot of the time hobbled. He couldn't get by anybody. Um, you know, Tyler Hero was hurt. There wasn't a lot of really secondary shot creation, if you will, outside of what was Jimmy Butler. Um, so that's where I do think that Golden State has an advantage in that they have a bunch of options that they can go to if one guy is struggling. And so I do think the two things will sort of offset each other. If they're not able to attack the paint, will they have a bunch of – if they're struggling in attacking the paint, will they have a bunch of shooters and a bunch of shot creators, more than Miami did at least, 
that can help them survive in the half court. And it's evidenced by their, I think they have a 116 or something crazy offensive rating in these playoffs. Um, and that's with some not so great games offensively, I would say, at least for, from a Golden State standpoint and what you expect from the Golden State Warriors. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, if we're done talking about everything, we can transition to making a pick. We should make a pick. Um, and I think you could probably tell in listening to the first 32 minutes of this podcast where both of us might be leaning. But with that, I'll just, you can go first. Who wins the series and in how many games? Yeah. Um, I've given it a lot of thought. And, you know, I think Boston has, like, a really good chance. I don't count them out by any means. I think if they throw their best punch um, more consistently than they've shown, I think they could even take this series, like, relatively quickly if they play their best every night. But I just don't see that happening. Um, I'm going to take Golden State in six games. Um, the interesting part is that would have, that would mean that they would close it out in Boston, um, which, you know, would be really tough, but I just think, um, Golden State has that established, you know, championship culture, championship mentality, and that clutch gene from so many different players. I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, Draymond Green, just randomly drop, you know, 18, 10, and 10 in the closeout game. I mean, it's over and over again. These guys just know how to come up big in big moments. And um, in this in this finals, I, I expect nothing less. It's interesting that you say uh, Golden State in six, and only because, um, you know, Boston, despite what you may think, they have not been a good home team in these playoffs. They just haven't. They've been actually a much better road team in these playoffs, which is sort of surprising, but that's what it's been. Um, so I do think, you know, they need to absolutely play better at the TD Garden and make sure they defend home court so they only have to get maybe one game uh, at the Chase Center to win this series. And as you said, I do think they bring their best every night and they're healthy they could take this series easily. They match up really, really well with this Golden State team, and that's why everyone thinks it's going to be such a fantastic series. And I agree with that. But I agree with you. Um, I'm going to take it one game longer. I just think Boston will find a way to take this series seven games because that's just what they've done the entire playoffs. Yeah. Uh, but, look, the, the Warriors enter with a rest advantage – uh, for the third straight series. They've been here, done that, as you said. This is what their, I don't know how many finals they've been to, six finals in the past 10, in the past decade, something like that. I don't know the exact number, uh, but you get the point. Uh, they had two more days of relaxation and preparation before both the Memphis and Dallas series, uh, and they went out. And they've been really, really good in game ones. Uh, and that's just going to be, I think, game one in this series is going to be really telling. If Boston can get game one, then 
they're going to be feeling really good about themselves. But Golden State, especially in the Steve Carrera, has been fantastic in game ones of series, and that's where they really got their advantage. Um, so I'm going to pick Golden State. I agree with you there, but I'm going to take it seven games. I do think Boston will give them a run for their money. Uh, I trust Ime Adoka uh, as a coach, even though he's only in his first year. I think I've seen enough through this first three rounds of playoffs to know that he he's fairly experienced in what he he knows what he's doing. Had a lot of playoff experience under Pop back in San Antonio as well. So I don't think he's going to be phased by the environment or whatsoever, uh, this Golden State team. But I just think with some of the injury questions, uh, more so on the Boston side, I think we have more clarity on the Golden State side than the Boston side. And just the execution part of things, I think, is the difference maker. Uh, and if it comes down to game seven, well, what will that be? Uh, no, the last year's finals only went six, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But regardless, two straight really, really good final series. So I'm, I'm really excited. Right. I am as well. Um, this should be really fun. I can't wait for it. Um, and, you know, I just hope we get some close games. I'm, I'm tired of the blowouts. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, that is going to end our finals preview. Um, we will have timestamps in the description um, for you guys, so you can skip to different segments if you want. But now we are going to move on to the second half of the show, which is going to be where we talk about golf. <laughs> Right. Um, the Memorial Tournament at Murrayfield Village is coming up this week. Of course, we did not talk much about the PGA Championship. We mentioned at the end of the last episode that Justin Thomas, you know, won the thing. Um, so congratulations to him on securing his second major. But a really strong field this week at Murrayfield Village. So we're going to do what we've done for the you know, a couple of golf tournaments here so far this PGA Tour season. We're each going to pick five players, um, and at the end of the week, we will it'll be based on cumulative score um, with the five players. And of course, we have rules with players that miss cuts. That's plus five strokes, I believe. Um, so the goal is not to necessarily pick the winner, although that'd be great. Uh, we've each done that actually. Uh, so far this season, which is pretty impressive. Um, I picked uh, the players' champion, and I believe you had – who did you – oh, yeah, you picked the masters' champion, right. Scotty Scheffler. So we've both done fairly well for our first time doing this. Uh, but with the, all that being said, let's just get to the point. Um, I'll let you go first, uh, and we'll just alternate picking our players. Okay, that works. Um you know, like you said before, there's a lot of really, really good talent in this field. Uh, but for my first pick, I'm actually going to go with uh, Roy McIlroy. Um, he's, he's coming off a solid showing at the PGA. He got off to a hot start in the first round, kind of tailed off after that. Um, and, you know, the fact is, I just think 
He has the positive vibes from past success at this course as well. And I just think with the way he has his swing going right now, um, if he just gets his putter going a little bit, just a little, um, he's going to be extremely tough to beat. Um, so to me, to me, it's a no-brainer. Well, congratulations on stealing who I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, for my first pick, I actually had Rory McIlroy written down on a note card. Um, but it's okay. Um, there are a lot of good players in this field um, and a lot of good favorites. So with that all being said, since you took Rory, who actually, let's see, four top 10s in his last 10 starts, six top 20s overall. So he's been playing really well. Um, he's tops on tour and adjusted scoring average. And his last three starts, he has a second place, a fifth place, and an eighth place. So he's playing really good golf coming in. Um, for me, I'm going to go with a guy who's one of the favorites this week at, Mo at um, Memorial um, at According to CBS Sports, 14 to 1, just behind John Rahm, who's the favorite, and Roy McElroy, who's the co-favorite. Um, I'm going to go Patrick Cantlay. He's a two-time winner at this particular tournament. He's the defending champion. Um, and if you look at it, um, he's a guy who matches up well with the metrics that, you know, they look for, strokes gained approach, uh, at these type of courses, strokes game, ball striking, all that sort of thing. Um, and he's played well here in the past. Um, the question for me with Cantlay is, you know, the, the putting. It's been inconsistent. Uh, but if you look at his putting statistics on bent grass greens, which is what you'll see at Murrayfield Village, they're very fast. He actually ranks uh, number one in strokes game putting on bent grass greens um, over the, his past 24 rounds at such courses. Um, so I just like his profile, and he's proving to play well here, um, and I needed a favorite. Uh, he won last year at a winning score of 13 under, and he won 2019 uh, at a winning score of 19 under. Um, so I just think he, he his profile as a player obviously translates well to what, you know, they look for here at Murray Field Village and what translates to this golf course. So I'll go Patrick Cantlay. That's a solid pick. Um, he He's interesting because he, he pops up at, it feels like the same, the same four tournaments every year. Um, it seems like he's always plays well in the playoffs, the Bags Cup playoffs. And the Masters, he always plays well, and the Memorial Tournament. Those are the same <laughs> the same stretch of tournaments every single year, it feels like. So um, definitely can't go wrong with that. Um, for my second pick, whew, it's pretty tough. Um, I'm going to go with Matt Fitzpatrick for my second pick. Um, he's coming off a top five finish at the PGA as well. Um, obviously he had a rough finish on Sunday, but the thing that 
I took away from that Sunday wasn't the fact that he didn't play his best. It was mostly the fact that he hung in there while not playing his best for about 14 holes until things just kind of fell fell apart for him. But that just really showed um, the mental toughness that he has. He was still, um, you know, right there firmly in the mix until really late in the round, even though he didn't have his best stuff, which is uh, really important at a course like Mirrorfield Village, where if you're missing fairways, if you're not going low, you're going to be losing shots on the field very, very quickly. Um, so I'm going to go Matt Fitzpatrick. I think he's in good form right now, and uh, you just got to go off who you think is in good, good form. I think that's the only way to really go about this. Right. With my second pick, at this point, I'm not really looking for a player that, um, you know, has to win the tournament, although I do think this guy could win the tournament. Uh, there are actually a lot of good, like, second-tier-ish, when you look at the odds, guys in this field. I mean, I look at guys like Xander Shoffley, um, you know, Cameron Young is a young guy who's caught my eye. Uh, the past couple tournaments he's played in. Max Homa has been playing well lately. Uh, there are some others. Of course, Mito Pereira, all the way down at 45-1, to 1, could be intriguing. He's played really well lately. But I'm actually going to go... Um, I took Cantlay at 14-1. to 1. I'm actually going to go uh, um, Shane Lowry at 25-1. to 1. He's the same odds as Matt Fitzpatrick. If you look at what Lowry has done, he's sort of flown under the radar, in my opinion. Um, he's been really, really good and really consistent. Consistently populating leaderboards all the way back to this past November. Listen to this. 11 straight top 25 finishes in stroke play competitions. 11 straight top 25 finishes in stroke play competition. Um and he has a pair of top 15s here in the past at Memorial. Uh, recently, just last year, finished tied for six. So he's played well at this golf course, and he's consistently putting up good tournaments, even though he's not winning a lot of them. Um, so, uh, and if you look at what, of course, translates to this golf course, it's strokes gained approach. Um, and he ranks up there. Over the past 24 rounds, he ranks fourth in strokes gained approach. Um, and then strokes gained, let's see. Oh, um, there are a bunch of other stats. I'm not going to read all through them. Um, I'm not going to waste your time. But basically, strokes gained approach, he's been really good. Along with guys like Cam Smith, Victor Hovland, Will Zalatoris, and Max Homa, who are some of the guys I've mentioned. So I'm going to go Shane Lowry. A guy who I think is not getting talked about enough in the golf world with what he's been doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a really um, that's not really a pick that you would think of right away. But you know, looking at this list of the odds, I mean, um, as you said, he's been a dude that's been really consistent, and in the format that we're doing, um, you just want a guy that you know is gonna be under par in contention um, in order to, you know, uh, move your way uh, to lower your overall team score. So 
That's a really solid pick. Um, so my third pick now. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with a guy that I've been a fan of for a while. Um, he just recently won the uh, event in Mexico this season. Um, Abraham Answer, um, historically, uh, con uh, consistently one of the best ball strikers on tour. Um, another guy that, you know, just has to get his putter hot and he'll be in every single tournament. Um, and that's what's been happening lately. Just in the PJ Championship, he was in contention there as well. So you'll see, a, you kind of see a constant, uh, a theme here with my picks. I'm picking a lot of guys that were in contention at the PGA. Uh, but Answer is a guy who's uh, mentally tough. He's just, um, he's not a guy that's just going to break down mentally when he faces adversity. Um, there was a lot of times throughout that week where, you know, Southern Hills really just threw an uppercut at him, and he just fought back over and over and over again. Um, and um, that's the kind of guy I want on my team. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's a great pick. The reason I wanted you to go first was that I wanted you to set the tone for uh, where you were picking in terms of the odds. So I'm just going to match you. You picked Abraham Answer, who I think is a really good pick. 50 to 1. I'm going to go with another guy that's 50 to 1, uh, who's been playing well lately. He had a stretch where he a really tough 18 month, 18 or so month stretch where he really wasn't, um, you know, in contention a lot, was really struggling, especially with his driver. Um, uh, you might be able to know, you know, after he won the Masters, recently switched off his PX Street driver, and that, I think that's helped him a lot, had a positive impact on his game. He's played well here in the past. And, you know, that's sort of a thing that I look at, his past success at this particular course. Um, Patrick Reed, 50-1 uh, odds, been playing well lately. I think this is a good spot for him in his past two trips. He has a 10th place finish at this tournament and a 5th place just last year. And he ranks 15th so far. Uh, this is a Jack Nicholas design. He ranks 15th in strokes gained total at Jack Nicholas design courses. Um, and he also has done some of his best work, as I said, on these type of greens. Um, so I know not a lot of people have been talking about him, but I I've seen him play well lately coming into this tournament, and I do think he's fixed some of the things that were ailing him in that tough stretch that he had. So, I don't know. It's a little bit of a flyer, but I'll take Patrick Reed. Okay, yeah. Um, he he kind of – yeah, you were right. He kind of really had a rough 18-month stretch um, where – I didn't see him really at all. Um, I didn't hear from him at all. Um, he actually missed his first Ryder Cup in quite some time just this past year. So it's good to see him back in form. That's that's a really solid pick. Um, okay, so my fourth pick. Let's see here. I'm looking in somewhere in the 80 to 1 to 100 to 1 uh, range here. Um 
this is where it starts to get tough because down here it's really just you're taking a shot in the dark. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Siwoo Kim um, at eighty to one here. Uh, no particular reason, just I just think um, his game really fits this course. He's a really solid wedge player. Um, and into these par fives, there's uh, a lot of times where uh, the par fives play into the wind at this course. So um, most most of the time, players won't be able to reach these par fives in two. So at that point, it just comes down to wedge play, being able to make birdies and convert on those par fives. It's a really big deal at this course. Um, and I don't have any numbers in front of me in terms of his form lately, but um, what I do know about Siwoo Kim is typically when he doesn't withdraw from a tournament with when he doesn't withdraw from the tournament with some form of element, it's usually when he's in contention. So hopefully he doesn't withdraw um, because he, I think in the past two years he has over ten withdrawals from uh, tournaments. So it's a good pick. Um, he was a guy I was eyeing down there in that range. Uh, he's, you know, seems to play pretty consistent golf when he does play. Um, I think he's a guy that's just reliable, probably make the cut. Um, probably won't win it, but that's not what you need. Right. Um, so I think that's a solid pick. Um, this is where it gets really tough. Um you know, I've seen actually Ricky Fowler sort of make a, a return here the past couple weeks, um, playing decent, but I, that's not where I'm going to go. Um, I'm actually going to go Ryan Moore, who, you know, has had a tough stretch here, uh, but is actually in a pretty big sample size, played really well at uh, Murrayfield Village. I think he's been dealing with some medical issues, finally healthy. I've seen him play well before. Um, you know, uh, 15 tournaments at Murrayfield Village. He's finished tied 22nd or better eight of the 12 times, and he's only missed two cuts. So I think he's if he's healthy and he's in form, he's got the game to at least make the cut and post a decent enough score to help my team so i know not a lot of casual fans probably know who he is but i've seen him play well before and i'm just taking a flyer hoping he's healthy and based off his past success at murrayfield i think it's a decent pick wow that going all the way down to 200 to one there that's a you know he's a guy who at his peak was one of the most consistent guys on tour. He wasn't a guy who won often, but he was one of those, you know, Tony Finau, Matt Kuchar kind of mold on the tour where he kind of, he made his bill as being a guy who's always in the top 15 to top 10 range. So hopefully he gets back to that. And uh, I think with him being back healthy, there's a good chance that he does have a good showing this tournament because he, as you said, he has 
the experience at this course. So, now this is our fifth pick now. This is the last pick. This is the last pick. Okay. Well, this is I'm, just going to be like a a flyer shot. Someone way down. Like a super sleeper, if you will. But go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking of um, a guy like Adam Hadwin at 100 to 1 but since you went 200 to 1 I'm going to go I'm going to go lower than that here. Um, I'm actually going to go with Joel Damon um, at 150 to 1. Um, he's a guy who um, a lot like the casual golfer or, or the casual PJ Tour fan has actually taken a liking to because of his uh, his recent appearances on uh, golf YouTube channels. He made an appearance on the Good Good channel, and he also made an appearance on Four Play Golf. Um, and I think because of that, um, fans have really taken a liking to his personality and his game. Um, and uh, his game, really, he's not one of these you know long hitters. He's not going to blow you away with you know three hundred fifty yard drives. But what he is is a extremely consistent guy. He rarely, you know, curves the ball. He just plays a straight shot every time, which is, you know, very rare on tour. Most of, most of the time you see guys, you know, have a go-to ball flight. But for him, he just aims it down the middle and he just hits it. So um, I just think if he's got it going, he's got as good a chance as anybody. Right. Yeah, I think that's a solid pick. Um, with my last pick, <laughs> this is so uh, tough. Um, yeah. And you if, went. And since you went with two hundred to one in your last one, you can go. You can go in like the hundred range if you want with this one. Okay. Um, I'm. I don't know what odds you are using. I'm on CBS Sports, but I don't think right, they I'm using that as well. Much. Right. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I'm going to look in like the 125 to 1, 150 to 1 range. Um, you took Joel Damon. Right. I like that pick. Uh, a name that stands out to me looking at this right now oh, let me see eric van royen is an interesting uh, one uh, yeah. yeah i was thinking eric van royen or even a guy like kevin streelman who i believe is 150 to one he is actually made the cut eight straight times at this particular venue and he's finished uh, top 20 in six of those um, he's a guy who has experience here um, earlier this season he was playing really well he had three straight top 25 finishes uh, struggled as of late but i believe he can return to form kind of like what i think ryan moore can do on this course so i'm gonna go with Kevin Streelman, I believe he is 
played well here before at 125 to 1. But only since I took Ryan Moore, who was 200 to 1. So that's who I'll go with. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it um, for this episode. Is there anything else you wanted to add about those picks? I mean, I. I don't really have anything else to say on that. I just, um, for this tournament in particular, it would be nice to see, you know, a guy like Jordan Spieth get back in the winner's circle. Obviously, he won earlier this year, but, you know, I want to see that consistency for some of these top guys. Um, obviously, like, the higher uh, guys in the odds, you know, John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay, you know, Xander Schauffele, all those guys have had some troubles with staying consistent, so... It'll be interesting to see if uh, some of those guys can uh, get back in the winner's circle here at this tournament. Right. I think something that we can do um, is we will tweet out who our teams are on Twitter uh, before the tournament starts on on our Twitter account, Rock Prospect Podcast Twitter account. Um, so make sure you follow that. And we'll post who our teams are before Thursday. And then after the tournament concludes next, you know, on Monday or Tuesday, we'll post the final results of our teams. Uh, so that way y'all can see, because you probably won't remember who we actually picked. But um, with all that being said, uh, this was a great podcast. Uh, we talked about the NBA Finals, and we also talked about the Memorial Tournament. Uh, it's going to be a great weekend of sports with the NBA Finals starting. College baseball tournament. We'll be back here very soon to quick turnaround to talk about that. That's going to be really fun. Um, it's going to be a really fun couple of weeks. And then we, of course, had the golf and so much other going on in sports. But with all that being said, we'll be back later this week. We'll see you guys then. Um, so I guess um, just like, uh, I don't know. Do you want to try an outro? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've run out of gas. Just like um, uh, Shohei Otani's uh, home run against the Yankees uh, got absolutely robbed. We are going, going. Wait, it actually wasn't going, going, gone. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never mind. How bad it is. I'll, you, you can stick with it. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a good attempt. I liked the attempt there. Um, it was just kind of a contradiction. Yeah. Of like, <laughs> and it's funny because he actually made a couple of like baseball sort of references, even though you probably didn't mean to. Uh, during that golf segment, you were like, even if he doesn't have his best stuff, or during the basketball. Right. Yeah. Uh, he can be a guy coming out of the bullpen or whatever. It's been pretty fun. Uh, but anyways, um, just like Baker Mayfield's career, hopefully soon in Cleveland, we are going, going, gone. Peace out, guys. Peace out. Thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed that video, make sure to click on one of these two videos right here. Our latest video right here on the left. or the video YouTube recommends for you on the right.